This is Alex Massa, and you're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly. Yes, they are. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. Folks, today I want to start to put leadership in the kind of perspective of the entrepreneur here. Uh, and in terms of success, there is no one better to talk to us about that than our guest today. He has one of the top podcasts in the hyper-competitive management marketing niche and has just aired his 200th show and achieved his three millionth, millionth download. He runs highly sought-after coaching groups in a couple of niches and has insights into just what it takes to be successful today in the online world. Live from San Diego. Michael O'Neill, welcome to the program. Mr. Nolly, man, thank you so much. I, I'm truly honored to be guest number one on the show. So thank you for that. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and, you know, I was going to save this for the end, but I'll say right up front, this show would not be hitting the airwaves today if it hadn't been for all your help and the support as I headed down the road trying to figure this out. Thank you for all of that. Well, the check's in the mail. <laughs> the check's in the so, mail. Yeah, one way or the other. Uh <laughs> We talk about leadership. We, you know, we. I think one of the metaphors that comes up uh, pretty quickly is the military or business or even sports. But you have come up with a model that I think is really important that I'd like our audience to talk about today, and that's the eight steps. I, I think that so, is so clear in defining how you get from the start not knowing what do you want to do in the online world to being a leader and being successful. I think that'd be an important thing to share. And that, uh, so I'd like to walk through that at least briefly. So sure, that sounds awesome. Number one, you, you talk about finding your passion. What does that mean? Well, even I think a preface to all of this is that we talk about leadership. It's, it's interesting to be um, kind of almost thrust into a leadership role when you don't necessarily, that's not the, the original plan. You know, I, I've seen it a bunch. People that are like, uh, like in network marketing or get promoted in their job or something, and all of a sudden they're in charge of, you know, 30 people or 50 people or sometimes hundreds or thousands of people. And it's such an interesting evolution to see what happens with people's personalities in that process. And I hope we get a chance to kind of touch on that at some point during our little chat today. Um, the, I think that's important because of network marketing, at least one, uh, one company that you do work with, people earn titles like uh, generals, directors. <laughs> not, not generals, but, you know, executives and we have, yeah, directors and that kind of thing. And, and it's, you just, I, for those people that, <laughs> excuse me, that are like, you know, a housewife or something for the last 15 years, and all of a sudden they're in charge of a team, it is an interesting role to be sort of thrust into. And, and I think people sometimes have to really step into it. But it's, it's cool because those kinds of gigs can really teach great leadership because you're so surrounded by people that sort of went through the same thing and, and can shape you through these steps. And I think that's kind of where these, these eight steps come from for me are not everybody is you know, out of the gates, <laughs> excuse me, prepared to be a leader. 
And it's like we have to we have to go through boot camp to get there. And so in the IM world, what does that boot camp look like? Well, you know, for me, I have such a um, a directed point of view on on that everyone can sort of achieve this. It, it, I, th- I honestly think that with some effort that in some capacity that even if it's a part-time gig or a side gig, that people can live a better life in their living. Because we sort of live in this world where people are like, oh, my, you know, my, my yearly review is up and I might get a 12 cent raise, you know? <laughs> and you're like, really? And that's, that's what we're shooting for, is it? You know, or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. They yeah. get you know, a dollar, a dollar 20 an hour raise this year. It's like, oh, that's going to, that extra $30 a month is going to really crush it for you. Um, so I just, it, it's like, there has to be a better way. And I, I think if I look at back at, let's even the, even the last five years when I was very intentional about learning and growing into this world of internet marketing and network marketing and creating a kind of a solopreneur lifestyle that, yeah, I can go back and trace the steps and go, yeah, this is, I think anybody can take these things. Cause if I could do it, trust me that anybody can do this. Oh, that's if way I, too humble. That's way too humble. Well, it's true, it's what it, but very true. Cause I, I'm not without my faults. I, I'm absurdly ADD. I have, but uh, you know, that's okay though. It's like, I'm, I'm fine with that. I've, I, I don't want to, tone it down or take any medicine for it. I just want to embrace it and kind of do what I do. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, I, I'm, I don't want to work a ton. Like I just, I would rather live a fun life. So if I can figure out how to do what I'm doing by not working, you know, 12 hour days now, and I'm not, not to say that I haven't, but I think anybody can truly. So that's, that's excellent. Well, let me back up even a little bit further. So when, when, cause you live the corporate life, at least for a short while, when did you pull the ripcord and put the brand on yourself that you were proudly unemployable? Where were you then and what did that feel like? And, you know, um, that ripcord itself, I, I had already been, I was a, a, a web guy. And so I worked for companies all through the nineties and then worked for a design agency in the early two thousands. And the guy I was working for was very unscrupulous and did some stuff that, that, um, by all measures was not legal. And I called him out on it and he fired me and then tried to do the, um, he tried to withhold my like unemployment insurance. And so I said, okay. And we, I took him to court and he, he lost by a giant landslide because he was like really a bad dude and did bad things. And so that was easy. But I remember thinking, man, why I'm, I'm smarter than this guy and I'm a better human. Like I'm doing, I'm not an unscrupulous dude but he's making way more money than I am. Like, why was I working for his company? So that's how, I think that planted the seed a little bit. And I was a freelancer for a couple of years before getting sort of recruited off the couch by a startup company. And, um, and they, you know, it was a really cool environment when I went in there. I was like employee number 65 or something. And within <laughs> a year, true story, within a year, there was like 350 employees. And it changed from being this really cool environment, like a hip startup, to very corporate. And somewhere in that time, I became unemployable. I, you know, it was about six months into that engagement where I, I, I looked at this kind of middle manager that I was directly under, and she was just not leadership quality on, on so many different levels. 
And I just, I clocked out. I mentally clocked out. I almost physically clocked out. And we, we, I think we endured each other for six more months before, you know, I had the meeting. They were like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we put a severance package together for you. I'm like, oh, that's too bad. And then, you know, I'm cheering on the way out the front door. So that was it really. That, that was, that moment was, was it. And we lived happily ever after. So clearly the first gentleman you referred to was, you know, not the greatest leader we want to hold up as an example. It sounds like the, uh, the last one you mentioned wasn't ever, but did, did you ever work for somebody that said, yeah, I, I kind of like spending time here and I'm learning some stuff. Andy Wunsch. Yeah. Andy Wunsch was my manager at uh, REI. I worked at, R- which is a outdoor outfitter. Right. You know, they would yeah, do sure. like camp- camping and hiking and that kind of thing. This guy was the nicest guy, totally super friendly, really like you really wanted to work hard for him. He just had that. He was very humble. He was like, hey, man, how would I do this and this and this when he didn't know something? And he was like, hey, you know, if you guys could really, you know, buckle down and do this, this, you know, just this weekend. I know it's really hard, but really his, he had a very sort of compassionate leadership style and everybody wanted to crush it for him because of that. And then at the same time, I had a, I actually got fired from that job because they thought I, um, they thought I stole some, not, no, it wasn't that it was, uh, they thought I gave my employee number to a friend to like buy something with my discount. Oh, oh. And what I actually, I, I jumped on a grenade. I, I actually, I covered for somebody else who had done that and I got fired for it. Actually, I think we both got fired for it if, now that I remember. And um, we were, Andy and I were close. Like we were buds. We, we would ride mountain bikes outside of work and, you know, it was not an easy thing for him to do. In fact, when he did it, he was so like disappointed in me and I felt bad. You know, I felt so bad about it. And even after the fact, he said, you know, dude, I just, I, you know, it's, it's the integrity of the company. I can't do it. You know, I can't hire you back. I know, you know, I believe that you weren't involved in it, but I just can't do it. And, and I respected that, even though I was disappointed. But he was probably the best I've ever had, for sure. So, so as you have moved forward, whether you were in Philly or Denver or, or in San Diego at that point, and moving forward and building, building what Solopreneur Hour is and your entire career is today, have you ever found yourself kind of looking backwards at, at Andy and saying, taking some of the things that were the best from him and kind of using them for your own? Now, I've never had that many employees that, I mean, he had a whole store that was under him. So he had hundreds, 150 people that were essentially under him. I've never had anything like that. But I do find that my leadership style is, is similar where I, where I am. It's, it's definitely not like a dude, just do this. I, I sort of waver between uh, let's like crush this together and because I can be like if someone, I think if someone, if I feel like they're not being resourceful, that can irritate me as, as a leader. If they're coming to me with like really obvious questions and I'm like, just Google the thing or just, you know, in, trust your instincts on this. I don't want to be like, there's one element where I don't want to be bothered with the, the minutiae. And I hope, and it, sometimes I haven't been able to surround myself by the right people that won't just sort of take initiative and get stuff done. But when I do, it's amazing. And I, and I put that on myself that I didn't, I didn't bring the right person on. Like right now I have a dude that's doing some web stuff for me. Awesome. Just, yeah, can you make this happen? And he just makes it happen. And that's like how, that's who I am. That's, that's who I am as an employee and as I, I think as a leader. 
and I, I, I always think, man, if I, can, if I can figure this out, why can't you? And I realize that other people aren't wired the same way, but that's, then that's not the person I should be surrounding myself with. So I think that as a leader, you got to make sure you're surrounding yourself by the, with the right people. That's a great point. Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour with us today. Uh, I want to run back to the eight steps really quickly. Number one, find your passion. And I guess, you know, in leadership speak, that kind of equates to creating a vision. Yeah, I, I and first of all, it doesn't sound like this is episode one, Bob. You're, you're like a seasoned pro. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think that that piece of it, I, at least in my case, I was doing some things. I had been in the web world, the design world, the branding world for many years, which I loved. And then at some point, I didn't love one big part of it, which was working with clients. And it's like, eh, all right, well, that's hard. That's hard to make a career of, of doing this for people when you don't really want to work with people that much in that capacity. And not because I don't think there are great clients to work with, but even the people that I know that are still amazing at this stuff, way better than I ever was, have such struggles with that side of it. And, and it's like, in a perfect world, someone would hand us money and then go away for eight weeks and let us just do what we do. But that's not how it works. Because at least in the design world, nobody's a designer until they hire a designer. Then everybody's a designer. And that's very difficult to work, <laughs> work yeah. within those parameters. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, and it's almost unique to that industry. You know, it's like, it's, <clears throat> it's like if um, you hired someone to do a jingle for you, then all of a sudden you're like, I'm a songwriter and I'm going to show you how to write the, your songs. And it's like, man, <laughs> what, what's, what part did you hire me for? So for me... The passion part, didn't, I didn't discover until after all that. I was sort of on this journey. I went to a network marketing company. Within that company, I did well because I was good at social media. And so good, in fact, that the company said, hey, would you be willing to train people to, to do that, to, to build their business with social media? So we did this like 17-city tour where I was on stage or in private workshops teaching people. And... I'd always loved to teach my friends how to snowboard. I taught women's mountain bike clinics for a while in, in Colorado. And I loved the teaching part. Like it was really something I enjoyed, but I never thought, <laughs> I never thought, well, I want to be a teacher, right? And I didn't, know, I didn't know the other avenues available to me to sort of transmit information. I knew I didn't want to go be a snowboard instructor yeah. or a mountain bike coach because you know, there's no money in that. And even when I was doing it, I, I didn't think about how could I scale this? How could I make this into a thing? And it wasn't until I met someone and I was speaking on stage a lot that I was like, wow, I could really do this part. I love this kind of stage time. It, it, it's my inner show off comes out a little bit, but I'm also good at articulating and helping people learn things. And I think there would be something there. And that was before, you know, podcasting was kind of a glimmer in my eye, you know? Sure. I, you so, know, go ahead. Sorry, I have to take cough breaks every couple seconds. Um, it's, it's like this, it, it's a little joke where someone decided, the universe decided that because I was going to be on a microphone a lot, that it would just make me cough all the time. And I can't, after a billion doctor visits, can't figure out why we're still coughing. So, Well, anyway. if you're ever here in the South, the, uh, the universal antidote for that cough is bourbon and honey. All right. Well, I'm going to go get some bourbon and okay, honey. Yeah. I should have just done that. I should do that for every episode. <laughs> then I would have the alcoholicpreneur. The, the, the show would be different. 
<laughs> be decidedly uh, explicit content, I'm sure would be the first thing that would happen. Um, anyway, so I found this, this um, I was still, my brain was not on the marquee yet. My brain was still in this very supporting role because, because I was a drummer and I'd spent all this time, you know, around sound equipment. I kind of guide microphones and things like that around. I had seen somebody else because of my mentality being a drummer, which is a, of a supporting cast member. It's not like you're not in the spotlight. You're kind of hiding behind metal and, 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 and wood. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. That's not the way I ever saw that. I always thought the drummer was driving the bus. That, well, that's the secret. This, here's, this is what you, here's the deal. The drummer is the most important person in the band. But in terms of where we are on stage, we're buried in the back, we're behind all of the, we're sort of hiding in the corner. But you can get a great band with a bad drummer and they sound like a terrible band. Right. And then yeah. vice versa. You can have an okay band. There's a lot of okay bands with great drummers that sound amazing. So it's like, <clears throat> and then we also secretly know that we could, at any given, we have our hand on the button at all times. So we can like take the, we can take the ship down at any time we want to, which is there's a, a good ego power involved in that. Yeah, um, it's, and of course, it's all the, the, smart, all the, the, all the times girls. I've seen Springsteen, you know, I spend, spend more time watching Max Weinberg than I do just sure. about anybody else. Sure. And, and the smart girls know that to date the drummers. That's, yeah. it. That's really the important <laughs> part. So um, anyway, so the point is, though, is that no matter what, no matter what you want to do, like if I'm the drummer for Sarah Bareilles or, 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 you know, John Mayer or something, I'm not the star on that stage. So I have to be. I'm in the, even though I know technically I'm in the driver's seat and they know it as well. Don't think they don't know um, that, that I'm not, I can't just be like doing drum solos every song, right? So I have to be in the supporting role. So that's where my brain is. And <laughs> I, um, I recommended to a guy that I'd seen speak on stage that he should do a podcast. And he said, what's a podcast? And I was like, well, it's like a, you know, like a radio show. And uh, you, you download it on your phone. And so we did it. And it was very successful. And when he was out of town one day, I had to fill in and do a show. And it was like all of this other training, all the music stuff, being in front of a microphone, all the um, schooling I did on stage, all the listening I had done to like Howard Stern and all these like really great interviewers throughout my life, all of a sudden culminated in this 45-minute episode. And I was like, huh, that was cool. Like, I was good at that. And I felt, it felt right to me. That felt like something I should be doing. And that really planted the seed. And, you know, if I, if I didn't love it so much, I wouldn't have done nine hours of editing on episode 200 or gotten up, you know, really early to do a show one day or stayed up really late to do a show. I had to love it, love it, love it. And I do. So I think that if you find your actual passion, the thing that you really love to do, that hopefully you can make money doing, then... You could, it's enough driving force to keep you going when things, you know, really when the, when the S hits the fan and you really have to step in and do a lot more work than you normally do. Because if you don't have that passion for it, there's no way you're going to step in and do it. Yep. Yep. And you'll burn yourself out sooner, probably more than later at some point. So when, when you know, you, you're, one of the quotes you've said kind of fits right in, of course, to the eight and immersing yourself in the culture to dive in and seeking knowledge. And that's this environment is much more important than willpower. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. Um, it is a, uh, it's amazing how we almost handcuff ourselves 
by putting ourselves in really bad situations. Like we're, we're in, you know, um, good example. I started the show, which was August, 2013. At the time I was living in a particular area of San Diego that had like hippies and burnouts and surfers. It was like, which is fine. Like if you are a surfer and you, that's your life and you want to just go out kind of party and, and surf in the morning, that is the destination for you. The housing's pretty cheap. You can do it. It's great. But as someone who has like an entrepreneur brain, it was really hard for me. I lived with a, a kind of a burnout kind of dude as, as a roommate. The house wasn't great. It was, you know, so my area wasn't great. The house wasn't great. My roommate wasn't great. It was all like really dragging me down despite having my my initiative and my drive to become successful, there was almost nowhere I could go to be surrounded by people that felt the same way I did. And I'm like, I have to get out of here. And it was almost like the minute I left, things went on a massive upswing for me. And I'm not even kidding. It was like the minute I got out of that environment and got to a place where I actually ended up kind of up-leveling and getting a place more expensive than I'd ever never paid before, but in exactly the right town, right where I wanted to live, in a great place, in a great location within the place, living by myself, and all of a sudden, everything starts rolling in my direction. And that's because I was a product of my environment. And I think if people are still stuck either in bad relationships or bad locations, whether you live somewhere that you don't like, there's no, there's no real excuse for it because you know, I, I talk about having location freedom and I think that ties into the environment that you're in. And it could be a bad relationship. It could be a bad friendship. You know, we talk about the five people, the whole Jim Rohn quote, five people that you surround yourself with. You know, you're the product of all of them. So, you know, surround yourself with great, amazing people. <laughs> and by the way, you are one of the five. That internal monologue you have to yourself is one of those five people that you're surrounding yourself with. And that was a huge breakthrough for me to hear that from someone and go, wait a second. Think about how many people every day go through this process of, oh, you're not good enough. There's no way you can do what these people do. You've got to do this for blah, blah, blah. You put 90 people before you and that's not, you, you go person to the person, to the millionaire, how they run their life and they have a really great internal dialogue. They're positive. They're positive people. So, they surround themselves with positivity in a, in a great work environment, in a great relationship environment. I always tell people that if, you're a, if you have the time freedom and you can go work from anywhere you want, don't just stay at home. You know, don't do that. Go out. Go out and you know, go to a coffee shop. But by the way, don't do it at a coffee shop that's in the crappy part of town. Go to the nicest subdivision where you live and go to that Starbucks or go to the nicest hotel bar in your city and plop your laptop up on the counter, get a glass of wine and get the Wi-Fi password from the bartender and do a little work because everybody that comes around you is going to be successful. Otherwise, they wouldn't be at that hotel in the first place. And it's so great when they step up and ask you, uh, what are you doing there? Yeah, why are you working? Why, what, you know, what's, what are you doing? And you're like, hey, this is what I do. And all of a sudden, you're like, hey, you know what? We're having a get together, you know, for entrepreneurs next Saturday. Do you want to come? Uh, yeah, I do. And now all of a sudden, instead of like being at a, you know, fundraiser for the local, you know, whatever shelter. You're at this like amazing, you know, charity event where now there's millions uh, and they're putting shelters up and it's like, okay.
Oh, excellent. Uh, you're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. We have Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour today. Michael, all the people you have worked with as a, as a coach, of all the clients you've worked with, what is the biggest differentiator that you see between those that are successful and those that are well, just not quite as successful as they hope to be? I lost you. Yeah, there we are. Hey, bud. Okay, we're back. Okay, good. Uh, So what is the biggest differentiator that you see between your clients that are really successful and those that are not quite as successful as they want to be? It's, I mean, honestly, it really breaks down into them taking action. I know so many people that are consummate learners. They've taken everybody's course and 50 times and they have everything they know more than i do about most of the stuff you know they're like oh yeah i did this and i set this thing up and i got this funnel in place and i did this and set this sales page up and you know i've got the course all done it's 50 chapters you know each video is three hours long i'm like holy moly what well, okay what's the issue like well, how <laughs> what's the what's the problem so i think that it's the failure to launch situation that happens and um that's difficult I think that's a that's a difficult thing to overcome. Uh, I think it can be I think it can be fixed by coaching. I think uh, get, having a coaching program of some sort for someone to go to look at your body of work and go, oh yeah, that's enough. You got it. Yeah, I Good think that go. crisis of confidence that they can have is is so critical, and you know it can be overcome. Why why are people so reticent about getting a coach? I, it's really weird. I, I'll tell you. Well, I don't know. I I think it's we don't even know that that's a thing. I think a lot of people don't even know that's a thing yet. People outside of this space of kind of internet marketing and in that kind of, you know, solopreneurship, I don't know that they know that coaching is a thing. And you think it would be obvious because they don't know if anybody's into any sport, they, you've never seen anybody win anything that doesn't have a coach. It's like they, they just don't. Or if you have, it's like the unicorn of athletes that doesn't have some kind of coach that has gotten that far on their own. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so I don't know. That that part I don't get. I think in the business world, if they could all be Andes, right, and go, yeah, teach me the thing I don't know how to do, and it just makes them even a better leader, a better coach, um, and a better student. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they're so reticent to do it, but but they certainly are. And if there's one big piece of advice that I can give anybody, it is absolutely get into some kind of coaching program in 2015. Just stop making excuses for it and just go do it. They're, they're not all that expensive. They're 99 bucks a month or they're, what's Soul Lab now? hundred and, what would it be? $130 a month right? Um, yeah. or so. And there's tons of them. And, and I'm probably the least expensive of all of them. So it's like, there's tons of them out there. And all, sometimes all you need is someone to look at you and go, oh yeah, that's enough. You got it, baby. Go, go ahead, pull the trigger. And, and that gives you the inspiration and the confidence to do it. And, and overcoming that crisis of confidence is, is probably the big reason to find a coach. Otherwise, you'll just keep buying classes and packages and plugins and data collect, data collect, data collect. Do I have to decide yet? Do I have to launch it? No. <laughs> right. Well, I don't. Well, and it, but the thing is, it makes you feel like you're making progress. And, and in some senses, you are because you are, you know, you're, you're adding to the, the base, right? But. It's almost like if, you know, in, in old video games, you could put like a cheat code in 
and it would be God mode. Right. And you could just like not die and you'd have unlimited ammo. And it's like, and meanwhile, they're throwing like, you know, spears at you and you've got tanks. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you got it. It's, you've got enough. And I have a, a good friend of mine that, that is like that. Uh, he has been, you know, working on the dream for eight or nine years. And it's actually, it's going okay. He's, he's manifesting it in a different way. But man, he was so poised for success seven, eight years ago. Like he could have launched and he would have been, he would have taken his life and his career on a completely different and very successful path. You yeah. just never know. You never know. You just never know. Pull the trigger. 2015 will be your year. Uh, yeah, just a couple more things I want to ask you really quickly here. Uh, what's on your iPod right now? I listened. My iPod is mostly, well, let's see. Um, Almost all the music I have has a good drummer, uh, obviously. And my most of my life is streaming Pandora comedy, um, different comedy stations on Pandora, or some kind of electronica, like ambient, no lyrics type music uh, from Songza. So that's what, uh, by the way, you should probably update to like what's on your iPhone, because I don't think people even use iPods anymore. Um, and then for my own music... It is very like, let me, what have I listened to on my own? I'm trying to think. Um, most recently, I listened to Dave Weckl, who's a, uh, is a, came from sort of being a jazz drummer and has the Dave Weckl band, which is sort of electric jazz music. I love that song that you've turned me on to that. That's very Songs useful for getting stuff done. Yeah. And otherwise, it's like filthy funk is what I listen to on my uh my ipod <laughs> what uh like bands like lettuce you know or lettuce or tower of power or um who else am i listening to uh john mclaughlin tom scott dave weckle when i was uh, when i was in school i was the guy that was charged with booking the bands into the fraternity house all the time oh, nice. and uh you remember the movie animal house just plug me in there not really yeah I never got Otis Day in the nights. Uh, but I, I did always book a band every semester in there that just, you know, turned me on to bands that I never heard of, like the Meters. Oh, man, the Meters. I oh. mean, there you go. And if I, if I hadn't, if I hadn't heard that, that I'd have never heard of them. I would have never. Mm. And, and actually, Little Feet. I'd have never heard of Little Feet. Oh, yeah, sure. So, but yeah, Zigaboo, on, uh, the Zigaboo from the Meters is, a, is a, just a, a filth bomb yeah. of a drummer. Oh, it's awesome. He's, he's great. He's got some nasty funk happening up in that. Oh. All good New Orleans, stuff. New Orleans style. It's good stuff. All right. So you'll have to come back. You'll have to come back later in the life to show and talk to us about comedy because I didn't get to that. And, and <laughs> is, this, I, is this it? And I just, yeah, we only do half an hour, man. Oh, let's, let's, let's ask, let's talk about comedy. Come on. Come on, Bob. <laughs> let's, let's break format episode one. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. You're, uh, you're a huge fan of comedy and, I, and, and more in addition to just sitting there and enjoying it and, and having your favorites, you're, you're kind of quite a student of it, I believe. Yeah, I study it I, big time. I really, really study it. So uh, it, it, it is. It is a, uh, a a master class in setting a premise of an idea, getting an audience to buy into a premise, and then almost going for the sale, which is the punchline of the joke. If you can, if you can see, um, I talk about this one in particular that that uh, Louis C.K. has, I think it's at the beginning of Hilarious, his, his, his uh, hilarious routine, where he tells a sort of semi-racist, semi, 
um, uh, 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 anti-Semitic type joke, at least a Holocaust joke. Um, one minute and 30 seconds or one minute and I think it's one minute and 47 seconds into his act. And he, and it's with a cold audience, meaning that they, there's no opener. He just starts, he just starts going and he takes this 3000 people through three different energy shifts before he hits the punchline. And maybe it's, I think it might be 247 before he hits them, this punchline. And it is a masterclass a in kind of ballsy beginning like holy i can't believe he's going for this kind of thing and how to sort of tap dance through laser beams or or crocodiles and and do it in a funny way that you go and and from the kind of like the meta outside technical standpoint you go whoa that was such a pro move that no beginner stand-up would ever go for like that was such a high level michael jordan opening that this guy just did. And I love that stuff. Totally awesome. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's phenomenal. And you look at some of these guys like um, Anthony Jeselnik, who has, if you, if you guys Google Anthony Jeselnik, and just, just YouTube him a couple times, his, his comedy is so off the rails, uh, not like wacky, but, but in this, like he leads you down this path. And his whole thing is, leading you down a little story, then dropping the most fierce bomb on you as the punchline. And you have no idea where he's going with it, which is why it's fascinating. And then he'll drop this joke, which is usually highly offensive. And you go, wow, I didn't see that coming. He just blindsides you every time. And it's brilliant. But I, I was thinking of him as an opener, like coming up. And I go, how would you, how would you have the balls to do that? Because no one get like, it's one thing if people go to see you as a comedian, it's another thing if you're just the opener and you have such an un, like, unconventional style, which he totally does. And that is the, the fiercest. Um, it's one thing to stand in front of an audience and another thing to try to make them laugh. But it's, the, it's some of the scariest, ballsiest comedy I've ever seen from this guy. I'll link both of them up in the show notes. Everybody take a yeah. break and go check them out for sure. So <laughs> has comedy changed since the late 20th century heyday of like Carlin and Robin Williams? Well, you, you picked two that were very ahead of their time. Uh, y yes. I mean, people used to get, there used to be applause breaks, you know, in yeah, comedy. Yeah. They used to be, they would, they would sort of stop. And the, I don't know that those exist as much. They, they kind of go right through there. Um, I think that sort of hacky comedy is still very sort of 80s based and early 90s. I think some of the really smarter stuff that, that you know, kind of like David Cross was one of the guys that started that trend of being like, you know, and Dennis Miller, when he was doing a lot of stand-up, was, was sort of out there. Oh, yeah. But Dave, very, very smart. Um, Jay Leno used to be a lights out, <clears throat> excuse me, lights out stand-up. The first and, comics I started hearing, you know, were on the, this, of course, going to date myself, which is no secret, on the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, Those yeah. Those guys that were, uh, that were in there in the evening, I'm thinking of somebody like, Jackie Vernon, hmm. you know, he had a little cricket, a little clicker in his hand, and his whole shtick was he was showing you a slideshow, walk you through the slideshow of his vacation and just the timing and the deadpan, almost like a Stephen hmm. Wright kind of thing. Yes. And, and, my, and my parents were just appalled that I would go, I want to be like him. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
and Stephen Wright is that that Anthony Jeselnik is very Stephen Wright esque with with maybe a filthier back end um, to his jokes, but um, but really cool, you know, like a really cool idea. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's again if we're we're bringing back to leadership, those people have to command audiences of hundreds and thousands of people, and to pull yourself away and examine how they do that, and. If you, if you consider that whatever the concept is you're trying to describe to your team, if that's your premise, and that's every comedian has a premise. When you hear someone like Chris Rock, his premise is very obvious. Women can't go down in lifestyle. They can't. <laughs> they can't go down in lifestyle. Like, that's his, that, and he has to keep repeating that. And then he hits you with seven jokes that are related to that premise. So that's how he sort of nails it, right? Other comedians do that in different ways. And they do it just like a lawyer would, where they, they'll say something like, so do you believe that blah, 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 blah? And they're like, oh, yeah. And what about blah, 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 blah? And then he goes, yeah, then blah, 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 blah. And then that's, that's the punchline for a lawyer. So for us as leaders, we have to set the stage for the people that are learning from us to say, all right, well, it's the, well and we did it a little earlier today. Say, okay, so if you believe that confidence and the failure to launch is the number one. Can I get you to agree, Bob, that confidence and the failure to launch is the, you know, the, the number one problem with most uh, leaders or most would-be entrepreneurs? Absolutely. And do you believe that an outside influence, someone who's successful, that's able to recognize that, um, do, you, do you believe that someone like that looking at their body of work is important? Absolutely. Right. So the punchline to this is get a coach, right? Then coaching is obviously the number one reason why people will become successful in 2015. So that's how in the comedy world, that sets up what we do in the leadership world. And it's exactly that to say, what are you struggling with? Okay, blah, blah, blah. Well, would you agree that if you're struggling with this, that this might be a good for, you know, uh, form of action to take? Yeah, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Okay, so consequently, this course is $500 and answers everything you just said, you know, or whatever, however that needs to work. But it precisely, it, an exact one-to-one -one mirror for what comedians do, for what we have to do as leaders. And, and I think, I think, the most successful entrepreneurs today that are trying to get that very thing done are the ones, I mean, you know, what, what is the first, the first old tired axiom, you know, the money's in the list and then, no, now, right, right, right. Now you have to, you have to create a relationship. Well, the ones that could get closest to the edge, I mean, in this age of social media, people are just craving a relationship, yes. a quality relationship. And you know, when you're, when you have thousands, millions of downloads or, you know, hundreds of customers or group coaching clients, the closest you can get to that gap right at the edge where you could create a great relationship with them, you got a, you got a client and a fan for life. That's true. I, I will say one thing. I just, I just had this coaching call. Um, actually, it was a live engagement, but it was... <clears throat> We see these people, at least in the internet marketing world, the Chris Duckers of the world, the John Lee Dumas, the Pat Flynn's, and I'm not sure if that's your audience specifically, Bob, so you can correct me and fill in whatever name you know, sure. would be appropriate. But we have this thing, and again, I can speak as a solopreneur. I, I can't speak as you know, someone who's running a company of 5,000 people because it's, it's not what I aspire to do. But we feel like we have to instantly set up our lives like these guys tell us to. Meaning, 
you know, get your VA, get your virtual assistants in place, get your, you know, your scheduling all done and, you know, do your mass emails. And then you have like an autoresponder that does this and everything's arm's length to me. And I was talking to this particular person. I said, look, if you have more time than money, you have time to connect with your audience one person at a time. If you have a coaching program you're trying to bring people into, then your only marketing plan should be getting on a Skype call with them for 15 minutes to see if you guys are a good fit with each other. And you just let your actual conversation sell the coaching program. You, it I doesn't think, even I, have to be that hard. You, can, you no. can just roll through the phone numbers and call them even if you miss them and leave them a message. That's and right. just go, you know, I just hadn't heard from you. I want to know how things are going. I know you were working on this and right. you know, let me know what I can do for you. Figure out how they would have done business in the 40s and do that because what it takes to become someone who you know, earns six figures in this environment is 200 people paying $500 each. That's not a lot. That's not like, a, like if you spread that out throughout the course of a year, um, that's not that many people. No. You know, it's like, dude, uh, you, can, you can definitely do that. And, and how hard would it be to, I don't know, I don't know how many people that is, but, but how hard is it to talk to 15 people a month or 20 people a month or whatever it is, right? It's like a person or two a day, you know, or, or you know, it's not that hard. So point is, it, we don't have to overcomplicate it. We can still do business like they did in the 40s, but it can have a modern spin. Once you get too busy, because you have too many people that are calling you and there's, you know, you don't have enough time because you're coaching so many people, then yeah, I guess you can start automating things, but you don't have to hurry that up. Yeah, but not until then. Yeah, that's great. Agreed. Uh, what else can we solve? Dude, we can solve world hunger right now. What do you want to do? Let's, yeah, talk let's about do that it. in episode two. We'll have to put hunger off on episode okay. two. Okay, All right. that's good. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have listened to episode one, and it will always be episode one of the Labrador Leadership Podcast. It's going to be the highlight of the day for sure. Uh, Michael, where can folks find you? Uno, baby. Uh, they can find anything that I do. Um, I was going to try to be cheeky, but I'm not going to. Uh, you can go to solo hour, <laughs> solohour.com. Uh, or uh, at Solo Hour on Twitter if you guys want to high five. At Solo Hour on Twitter at solopreneur.com. Michael, thank you very much. We wouldn't be here without you. Come back anytime. I will. I'm going to be here for episode three, four, and five. <laughs> Every Thursday, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Have a Bob. great weekend, sir. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Okay, folks, you can check out our show notes at labradorleadership.com slash one. And Michael O'Neill, thank you very much for making, joining us here on episode one. It was a great one. Next time, Alex is back and we talk about setting goals. <laughs>